We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Welcome to ROG. Today, our very special guest is Madeline Milka. She is a nationally recognized civil rights leader and a member of USA Today's inaugural Leaders of Change. As president and CEO of the Asian Pacific American Institute for Congressional Studies, APACS, she brings nearly 25 years of experience working in political campaigns and specializes in political nonprofit fundraising and political training. Born in Vietnam into a multicultural family, she hopes to highlight the experiences of Asian American Pacific Islanders in public service. In her spare time, she enjoys traveling, fashion, and food. Welcome to ROG, Madeline. Thanks so much for having me, Shannon. Could you just give us a little bit of your background? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. So I was born in Vietnam. My mom's Vietnamese. My dad is of German-American ancestry. We left um, Vietnam after um, 76. So after it became a communist country, we're one of the last American families to leave. My father's originally from New Jersey, so he wanted to be on the East Coast. And so we ended up settling down not far away in the D.C. metropolitan area. So grew up in a very um, multicultural household, but also in a very dynamic neighborhood where the majority of my neighbors were African-Americans, Prince George's County, Maryland. So one of the most affluent African-American counties in the U.S., Um, I went to a very multicultural high school. I was president of the student body and then graduated when I was 17 and went to college in New Orleans in the South, Tulane, and became vice president of the student body there. I was really fortunate to be amongst an international crowd of people at Tulane. And uh, when I graduated, I was vice president of the student body and the entire executive board, which is elected, was composed of women. And so from the president and five vice presidents, we all came from different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, um, different religions. And so it was a very uh, dynamic experience for me to be with strong women from, you know, early in my life into my professional career. And then I ended up coming back to D.C. working for a national campaign committee and really worked on um, presidential campaigns and really spent my career um, doing political campaign work. And now I, uh, I spent 16 years at my own political consulting firm before moving over to Apex. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, and I, I have had the opportunity to benefit from some of the programming that you offer at Apex, and thank you for that. It's a great opportunity to learn more about our Asian American population and also to really become better leaders. You introduce us to a lot of influential leaders and people who have great perspectives to help create a more inclusive society and culture. You know, you say you grew up in a multicultural neighborhood. You've been an Asian American your entire life and you've experienced so many different things. You also speak with a lot of thought leaders in government and other areas of our society. What are some ways that you have experienced personally or peripherally 
racism in America? You know, as a young child, even when you're with different communities of color and, you know, other children, I think as an Asian American, you know, I have gotten the racial slurs of Ching Chong, the, you know, the slanted slid eyes, you know, I present as Asian, even though my father, as I mentioned, is German American. And, you know, when he was alive, he was like a six foot tall white dude, you know, had like the John Wayne swagger. So I think me being an Asian American woman growing up, although I was in a very multicultural society, it can still permeate in some ways to say that, you know, those racial slurs as a kid is acceptable. And I don't think, you know, as, you know, as a person who's nearly 50 years old, to see that as acceptable then or now. And I think it's issues of people making comments and they have their own biases about you and misconceptions that that racism starts to grow beyond just, you know, words that are being flung at you without knowing who you are, without knowing what your background is. And that's just um, a, a perception of what they think when they just see you. So, you know, racism is prevalent in the ways of acceptance. And, you know, I think children who are saying those things don't know any better and they need to be more aware of their surroundings and the people they're with. We should be welcoming everyone. And I think that's part of the the issues that we face when we talk about racism, not just in the Asian American community, but any community, because you assume that, you know, that you'll be doing certain things where you have stereotypes. And I think that in itself is the basis for how um, you start to treat people later in life. So it sounds like it starts as early as a young child, somebody modeling inclusive behavior and language and correcting bad behavior and racial slurs and jokes and kidding that are not at all funny. It cascades into our adult life too. So my focus is around how I can influence more inclusive work environments. What are some of the things that you have seen work or things that are effective or things that you think would be helpful for our AAPI community members to feel more safe, more included, more respected at work? You know, I think most teams in any work environment, they want to create their team culture. And I think that starts at the top, you know, from the leaders who address issues that are facing certain communities. So I would say within the time period that we've just had in the last week or so with the deaths of the Asian Americans in Atlanta, that the Asian American community has been feeling very raw. Corporations and companies and organizations that have Asian Americans as employees, I've recommended that they give them space to be able to process those feelings and also as well as help each other better understand and be there for one another in that sense. I don't think the burden of trying to explain, you know, who you are as a constituency during a period of grief or mourning is an appropriate time. However, I think it's also important to recognize that those sort of avenues during the course of time is important. So, you know, May is Asian American Heritage Month. So I would recommend to give them the space to celebrate their heritage, you know, Different employee resource groups want to celebrate certain things within their heritage or culture or history, and it gives an an opportunity for other people to learn at that point. You know, I think the generosity of that is that constituency educating you about their own history and, you know, during times of crisis, don't lean on them at that point. Let them, you know, process their own feelings and then ask them about how they're doing. Because I think recognition of 
someone's feelings is also important to say that we see you. And that in itself is a source of empathy to say, as a human being, I feel that you um, are hurting and I can see that you're hurting and I want you to have the opportunity to be able to process that. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Give them space and grace and welcome a conversation if they want to have one. Those are those things that mean so much, but some might not feel comfortable doing that. So I think your encouragement to reach out and make a connection is such a wise thing to do. I think that's such a good idea. I'm trying to understand why this is something that even though it's hundreds of years old, 400 plus years old, it's, it feels like something many of us were not aware of. What is your perspective on that? Is that irritating to you? And like, why do you think that that is? I think also just in the sense of understanding that white culture is the dominant culture, you know, people tend to think more in that framework. So when you think about other communities of color, you think about, you know, the African-American community, the Asian-American community, you know, we're talking about obviously other parts of the world. And so when you get to that point, there's moments in history that people aren't aware of that are American history. And it goes deeper than just one sentence in a history book. Understanding that, you know, within the Asian American community, there have been public policies and laws put in place that has specifically excluded ethnic groups within the Asian American community. So, you know, as far back as you know, the 1800s, there are laws that specifically say we don't want Chinese. It's a very anti-immigrant feeling. And so it's also the sense too, that you don't belong. And so this is something that continues to this day when people will ask, where are you from? And someone says, you know, and that doesn't matter. That's not like, I don't have to walk around with my, you know, citizenship that says I was actually, you know, an American citizen born on foreign soil. No one's going to know that. And so this is part of that aesthetic that people will automatically make these assumptions that you are from somewhere else. And so when you say that you're from California or New York or Kansas, then someone then asks, no, but where are you really from? And that in itself is not something that generally happens. You know, I'm married to a white male whose father is an Irish immigrant. No one's asking him, where are you really from? And so I think that's part of the dynamic we face is that we're constantly trying to prove that we're American and that we belong. Yes. And for any of us who are hearing this and saying, I think I have said that at some time in my life, that is one of those things that it's small, but huge. And if we are not aware of it and correct it immediately, we are being exclusive. We are judging, we are categorizing And we're not demonstrating inclusivity and respect, really. And I think, you know, even hearing the word minority grates me. I I don't like the word. It means less than or, you know, but what what is your opinion of even using the word minority? I mean, I think one that, you know, does say that we're underrepresented. It does say that we aren't the majority. If you think about it's 2021, 2040, 2050 is when they anticipate that, minorities will actually be the majority in the United States. So in that sense, I think there is a lot of fear that comes with people who are afraid of what that means. You know, as I mentioned before, dominant culture is based around the white experience. For those people who want to maintain that 
identity and culture as the dominant one, it's probably not something that they enjoy hearing that pretty soon there'll be more communities of color who will be in the majority. That's an important thing for everyone to understand and to celebrate. And so you invest a lot of your time and talent supporting Asian American women. What can you teach us about that distinction about being a female in this country as an Asian American? We come from a long line of resilient and strong women. A lot of women that I work with, you know, have in my family came to this country wanting to have a better life. They might've been um, refugees. They might've been um, people who were leaving countries that were unstable and not in a position to enjoy life in their countries and their home countries. And to come here um, to provide a better opportunity for their families is part of the reason of why, you know, they've entered this country. I think this is a part of the the issue that um, Asian American women face when they are working in uh, low income jobs, because they are trying to provide better opportunities for their families. And it is important to recognize that, you know, that's a vulnerable constituency for us within this community. So there are a lot of strong Asian American women throughout all kinds of industry, you know, within the last quarter, it's my understanding that, um, the majority of jobs that were lost by women, um, through this pandemic. And so if you also break down what you categorize as women in that group, Asian American women were actually the largest percentage of women who lost jobs because they were in you know, positions that were um, personal care services. So those are all positions that Asian American women have worked in. You know, I think it's important to encourage you know Asian American women to also persevere through this in the sense of you know there's a community of people who want them to not just survive but to thrive because you know so many. Uh, have made sacrifices to be in a place where they can offer you know a better life to future generations. When we come back, Madeline will share with us about mentoring, her favorite quote, and women in politics. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. And we're back with more from Madeline Milka. One of the things that you do that I so appreciate is your commitment to mentoring. And these sound like populations of people who you can invest in, encourage, and then really try to give them some power to bring out into the world. I know one of your favorite quotes is to go where your energy is reciprocated, celebrated, and appreciated. Can you tell me more about what that speaks to you? What it really means to me is that building teams of people to support one another, understanding that everyone is an asset and is valued, being able to know that, you know, regardless of what you're doing um, on a team, people all 
value you and that we celebrate your accomplishments. We're there to support you if you need uh, additional help. Um, and that is a part of the values that I try to bring with me whenever I'm working with you know a team of people. Yeah. I mean, going where your energy can be reciprocated, celebrated and appreciated. It's like, I can, I can multiply my energy when I direct it into these areas versus like trying to make space for us where we may not be welcomed or where, you know, we may not be appreciated. I, I just so appreciate, I, I think that that's great advice. What are some experiences of generosity that you have had in your career? So when I first started, you know, my own path in politics as a woman of color, I actually had, um, other women of other constituencies support me by championing me when I was looking for opportunities. And so I think that's where generosity of spirit and understanding someone's potential is valued because you're looking beyond yourself. You're looking beyond your, your own constituency. You're looking at, um, this is an investment in talent And so I think that's a part of the generosity of paying it forward. And so I've been very vocal about um, how these women who who weren't Asian American continue to talk about me and champion me. It's like the saying, you know, work with women who will talk about you in a room full of opportunities when you're not there. And that's basically what they were doing for me. Yeah. Well, I can totally see why they would do that. I think that's a great point too, because I remember reading a while back a research study. I think it was called the White House Project, yes. right? Where women will run for office if they're encouraged to do so. They have to be asked multiple times to run. So six, seven times before they actually do it. And so wow. ask a guy, you can ask him once and he will say, sure. Whoa. How can we put that as a call to action? I think a lot of women are undervaluing their accomplishments and their qualifications. There was also a study that showed that when a job announcement comes out, a woman will look at it and say, well, I only have 95% out of the description. And a guy will say, oh, well, I only have 50%. I'm still going to apply. So I think these are challenges that we have as a constituency that, that just says, please don't undervalue yourself. And, you know, think that you are able to attain something because you haven't met it by a hundred percent. And I think even then, when you are applying for positions that might be a little bit more challenging than your current portfolio, it doesn't mean you can't grow into it. So I think that's something that we all have to remind ourselves and remind our women, women colleagues that you definitely have accomplishments and you just don't feel the need to share how great you are. Mm, absolutely. And that's one of the most meaningful things to me about Kamala Harris becoming the 49th vice president of the United States, because very often you think you can't be what you can't see. But as our first African-American and our first Asian-American vice president of the U.S., female vice president is remarkable. And I'm sure that that spoke volumes to you. I love your blog that you wrote about that, which will also be in the show notes for everybody to appreciate we have to continue to encourage each other and cheerlead and lift each other up and make sure that we are creating space for each other. What are other ways that you see generosity at work? Well, I, you know, completely think about, you know, whenever we finish a project, being able to give, you know, the project manager, you know, and their teams, you know, the kudos to celebrate, you know, the job well done. 
you know, we always try to debrief afterwards to see how we can improve. And it's not meant to really provide negative feedback. It's more of a constructive criticism period of time for us to say, well, you know, as a team, how can we do this better? And so I think this is a part of celebrating people's accomplishments and making sure that we don't just say, yeah, it's part of your job. That's why you get a paycheck. It's in your scope of work. But that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate when you do something, especially during challenging times. You know, we're in a pandemic. We're trying to get through our own personal challenges as well as that within our work life. You know, just being able to recognize people and their work. Um, again, I think just shows that you value them. We try to, you know, in my office, I try to give my teams like, you know, gift cards when they're working longer hours. And, you know, when I had my consulting firm, like every quarter, I would try to do something to, um, you know, recognize them individually. And then also as a team, you know, having staff lunch together once a week, because I think part of the reason of why, you know, I, I, have, I have the good fortune of having a small team. So we get to all know each other. But I think when you have larger teams being able to build that human connection to better understand each other as people, you have um, a deeper relationship with your colleagues and understanding who they are as individuals, not just who they bring to work. And hopefully it's their authentic self when they go to work. But also sometimes, you know, that sort of starts to uh, permeate as, well, this is who Madeline is. It's not who she is as a work person, but who she is as a person. Mm, yeah, that's so important. And it even helps us to give people more of a benefit of the doubt. I think when we understand more about who people are, what they stand for, what their values are, what what was their family like, or what are they interested in doing outside of work? And then if you know they make an unintended mistake, we can be more gracious and give people a better benefit of the doubt. I also think it makes a great culture when when you work among people who are real people that you appreciate as they are and you get to learn from. Hopefully they're different than you in a lot of ways so that it makes a rich and vibrant culture. So if you were going to leave our listeners with one bit of advice or recommendation or a way to think about things, what's something that you'd want to share with them? You know, I think that you know, learning about people is so important. So, you know, I recommend, you know, going to the Apex website and being able to, you know, go through our library of uh, what we have Apex and conversations. They are with high profile Asian Americans who have been or continue to be in public service. Um, you know, we've had directors of um, the Smithsonian Asian American Museum. We've had people who are in the judiciary, they're judges and have passed through Senate confirmation. We have all types of people in, in the library. And I think it's really astonishing to see the, 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 the number of people who were willing to talk to us about their career paths. Um, and I think it's uh, interesting to learn about how they were successful. And I would encourage people to take a look because it's just very interesting to learn more about, you know, the Asian American Pacific Islander constituency. Absolutely. And you do such a brilliant job at that. And you have your big gala coming up. Yes, it's May. um, So it's a virtual gala. And our theme this year is the Asian American Saint of Hawaii Pacific Islanders rising to the challenge. Yes. All right. So that will also be in the show notes. Everyone get your tickets and enjoy the gala. It's going to be amazing. Just like everything the Apex does. 
Thank you for investing your time with us and helping us to grow in our understanding and for helping us understand more about you and the the bright light that you are. Thanks so much, Shannon, for the opportunity. Our OG takeaway tip, how we can apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Madeline Milka is an effective leader and incredible person. I'm grateful she shared with us and that you listened. I've got three takeaway tips for us today. First and foremost, don't ask other citizens, where are you from? The question for many is well-intended expression of interest in the other person, but how it feels to our Asian American colleagues, friends, and neighbors, insulted, seen as different from, and not accepted. The microaggression is alien in own land. When someone asks, where are you from? The implication is, you're not from here. Think about that. You're not from here. Has that ever happened to you? Think about a time in your life when you were the only person like you in a group, a situation, a room, a country. What signals did you receive that reminded you, they see me as different? Did someone look at you differently? Were you avoided, ignored, whispered about? or maybe even confronted with a direct question like, where are you from? Imagine being in a place where you believe you're in familiar community. To take this idea to an extreme, imagine yourself in a very familiar environment, a place where you feel like you belong. Maybe for you, that's your family, your place of worship, your employee resource group, your workplace, imagine that. Now imagine yourself on a Zoom meeting with this group of people, the people with whom you associate and affiliate. Someone unmutes and directs a question to you, where are you from? You see your name in the chat with questions from participants about where you're from. The part of us that wants to belong and have connections is on red alert. Me? They want to know where I'm from? I'm me. I'm one of you. And then you feel that familiar pit in your stomach. The feeling you feel every time you experience loneliness, neglect, isolation, and irrelevance. The feeling you feel when you are reminded how vulnerable you are when you're not in a pack. The scary experience of being invisible, or worse yet, seen and unwanted. That's a horrible feeling. Anyone who listens to a podcast on generosity would never want anyone to feel that way. So don't ask that question. Many of my AAPI colleagues are so used to being asked this question that they include where their ancestors are from in their introductions. Oh, me, I'm from New Jersey. My great-grandmother is from Korea, but I was born and raised in the US. Let's agree to never ask that question again. If there's something about their history that they choose to share, they will once you've established a relationship. In the meantime, it's insulting and makes them feel separate, other, and foreign. The second takeaway tip is to engage in bystander intervention methodology. It's necessary for all injustice and prejudice, from microaggressions to violence. Whether we're seeing this in public transit, on the street, in our workplaces, or in our homes. When we witness disrespect towards other people, be it Asian, Black, Hispanic, gay, disabled, we must intervene. The recent event in New York City reminds us of how horrific racism is. Let's develop skills for bystander intervention so we can feel confident intervening the next time that you see anti-anyone harassment, online or in person. 
Think about it, a 65-year-old woman, Vilma Curie, kicked in the stomach, knocked to the ground, stomped on. Most said that as heinous as this was to watch, what hurt the most was the security guards who saw this happen. The security guards are accused of doing nothing, but they did something. They closed the door. When we see something, we must say something. When we see something, we must do something. Anytime we don't correct a racist joke, jab, or microaggression, we are part of the problem. APAX shared an incredible resource to support the National Day of Action and Healing on March 26th, hashtag Stop Asian Hate. The link to the site and the resources are in the show notes. Please check them out. Third and finally, the APAX 27th Annual Awards Gala is coming up Thursday, May 13th, 2021 at 6 p.m. It's free and it will be an amazing event. This year's theme is AA NHPIs, which is Asian Americans and Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, rising to the challenge. They will showcase how the AAPI community is rising to overcome. And like Madeline shared, this community is resilient and strong. So please join the celebration. To recap, number one, never ask, where are you from? Number two, be an active bystander. When you witness a situation, take steps to speak up, step in, and keep things from escalating. And number three, attend the APAX Gala on May 13th. Stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.